A Gay and a Non-Gay is a podcast from James Barr and Dan Hudson. They're like a lovely little couple, except they're not. We're so excited to welcome our next guest to A Gay and a Non-Gay today. He's fabulous, funny, fierce, a gay icon and handkerchief enthusiast. His last show absolutely sold out a 20-night run at the Soho Theatre. He's played sellout shows at the London Palladium, been crowned the master of the non-stop rant, and he's the host of both The Apprentice, You're Fired, and Bake Off, The Professionals. Please welcome welcome tom allen oh what a nice introduction <laughs> i especially enjoy the uh, handkerchief enthusiast i'm very sad you're not so, wearing one today well i know i feel embarrassed but also that's synonymous with cruising for me so is it uh, don't you need a specific color though to be cruising that's right it sounds like i'm enthusiastic about like wearing a various patterned pocket square to denote what I'm into or up for it might make people think that all this time that's what I've been wearing a pocket squares for but it's it's not and, uh, so. and what color pocket square would you wear if you were trying to denote your interests oh I don't I don't know I can't remember the actual code which is classic me I'd get it all wrong <laughs> probably end up getting you know fisted behind a hydrangea <laughs> welcome to a gay and a non-gay I um I recently saw that you revealed a crush on Badil and Skinner, um, yes, the singers behind the England anthem Three Lines. So yes. that's something. Have you heard from them since you revealed that information? I know both of them a bit. And David tweeted about it. And then I went back to, I was like, I must respond to that later. And then I went back to find it and I couldn't find it, which made me think he maybe deleted it. Embarrassed. <laughs> I remember, yeah, what was it, 96, 97? They were on the television in football gear all the time. And I think my teenage self was like hang on I'm very interested in this what's this what's all this about <laughs> and I would I would say I, I've sort of moved beyond it now who have you moved on to now <laughs> oh that's a good question Dan um there was a point during the pandemic when I thought Hugh Edwards was very attractive oh but his Instagram is fit oh he's got an Instagram yeah so ripped Tom have you not seen like it? Hugh Edwards. You need to yeah. look at it right now. He honestly. Oh my goodness! What an idiot I am! Waiting for the weather with Thomas Schaffernacker. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a new podcast coming out, I believe, about regifting. Yes, the room of gifts is out right now. Are you a regifter? Yes, definitely. My mum has always had a, a, a drawer. You know, one of those divan drawers. Yeah. In the divan bed. Um, she's uh, always had a drawer of stuff there, um, and I've sort of tried to emulate that. And also, I like to keep. Um, gift bags as well so you know if in an emergency I can always grab a scented candle maybe a hand cream and somebody who needs a gift gets a gift so but isn't the scented candle quite an obvious re-gifting move if you popped out a scented candle right now I'd know that that was something you were re-gifting like this one you mean <laughs> um, I get them all the time and I'm always delighted I, I walk out of the house someone gives me a scented candle it doesn't actually matter does it if, so if, if it's a re-gift it's still like a generous thing because yeah. you still could have kept it for yourself or oh yeah well, like who's ever complained about i don't know a bottle of wine uh, oh. i like a thoughtful gift though i'd like it to oh, be James, tied no, forget to it in some no no too much pressure then you've got to be like thank you it's such a great oh my have you remembered this and oh my god it looks just like me <laughs> this wine bottle looks of wine just like thank me. you <laughs> yeah <laughs> see myself in this bottle have you, you ever know? received a terrible re-gift situation or a terrible gift in fact I was once given a handbag by some neighbours when I was a teenager. And I thought I was hiding any kind of non-straightness um, from the world. And I got given a clutch bag. 
I, you know, I thought I was just going out into the world, presenting myself as I wanted to present myself. And they were like, here's something you can wear to your next dinner dance. That's absolutely brilliant. What is a clutch bag? A bag that you clutch? Yes. Yeah, then. What, like a handbag? It's smaller. Yeah, like a smaller handbag. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was, you, um, it, you can put it under your arm. Yeah, they are actually really handy, especially if you've got a phone and a charger. You don't want to disrupt the line. As you can see, I like a tote, I like a tote bag. Oh, you do like a tote bag hanging on the wall behind you. Yeah. But a tote bag can can strike the wrong chord, I find, at certain, on certain occasions. Now. And what chord is that? Well, I, I don't know, maybe a, a night out on the town. Would you take a tote bag with you? No, but I wouldn't take any bag on a, on a night out like that. I'd just rock up with... Overstuff, overstuff your pockets. Yeah. That's the worst thing, because then you're really disrupting the line of the clothing, which can become quite ungainly, I find. But I only all I need is my phone. <laughs> this is interesting. What I need is my phone, my two cards, a debit and a credit, and my keys. So that's all I, that's yeah, all I the carry. The keys will disrupt the line, won't they? Because they'll pop, they'll like... Mm. Mm. Have you got a very bulky fob? No, I have like actual keys. I don't know why they're just on here, a, but... On a, yeah, and on like a long string as well. That looks very... That's going to be very bulky in your pocket. I think, yeah. <laughs> and you could end up like ripping a pocket yeah but i i do live in fear of that i suppose but i think i would notice straight away if that happens do you know what i mean like i think you notice when your phone isn't in your pocket yeah okay i get that i get that what about earphones would you put them in your pocket i have these i don't know why i have everything just in front of me (laughs) like show and tell since i've had airpods to be fair i haven't been out on the town because of the pandemic so I do, yeah, I haven't quite crossed that bridge of what I do with these because obviously they're quite expensive. When I go for a run, I sellotape them into my ears because I just, <laughs> I'm terrified about them falling in. And I notice that everyone's like staring at me thinking with this, it's this like blue sellotape. You're like a, like a lovely gift yourself, aren't you? <laughs> I don't know how you can go for a run without them falling out of your ears. The other thing I've tried is wearing a bandana, which sort of keeps them in. But then my, I had so many lines on my face afterwards. Damn! I'm I mean, aware that I look like an idiot with blue sellotape on my ears, no, but no one said that. No one, no one in this room has said that. I look like no, but I, I know that. But I look like more of an idiot when I have to pay eighty-five pounds for one headphone. Tom, anytime you want to cover this podcast, by the way, the job is yours. <laughs> You've said nothing and everything at the same time. It's brilliant. I'm concerned about the sellotape on the ears on so many levels as well. Why? Pulling hair during the peak pandemic. I had a huge beard. Of course you did. Slayer level. Of course you did. You're um, making sourdough bread, I bet, as well, weren't you? <laughs> I wasn't. Well, I, actually, no, I tell a lie. I wasn't making it. But I, I have this app where people um, who have excess food like sourdough will be like, oh, I've got a load of sourdough. Come and get it. So I was rinsing that during the <laughs> pandemic. It was that, game changing. I've got a load of sourdough. Come and get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where, where do you live? Uh, like where? North London, Finsbury Park. Uh, what, and so someone's just like throwing sourdough out of the window. Normally they'll leave it outside. Leave it outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a bin. Wherever's sort of hidden. So like behind bins is is a good one. And that's a, you're not worried about like eating somebody else's food. You know, made in a non non hygiene regulated environment. No. So what it is, it, it's it's like a legit thing. It's, sure, it's nothing. It's not legit. So it's it's come from bakeries and places that have cook too much i've got hygiene ratings yeah yeah <laughs> and they've got all this sourdough that's just gonna go to waste if if people like me don't eat it people like me <laughs> people like me people, people like not, i think it's a noble idea and i think it's an excellent way to prevent food wastage what do you think james 
honestly, I don't know what to say. I, I think Dan has enough money not to need to benefit from uh, <laughs> charity, but still likes to take free sourdough when it's available. But hang on. <laughs> there was a time, I'm just going to quickly tell this story. I want to hear it. Dan went to a food bank to donate and left with sourdough. <laughs> Because they had too much sourdough. And he was like, oh, are you sure? And they were like, yeah, have some. So took sourdough home. So he went to a food bank, skipped the queue because he was donating and then left with sourdough. I I, I said to the woman, there was a mountain of sourdough, a mountain of it. Far more than... Far more than the amount of people in the queue. She said, do you want some... I feel like there's something biblical about this as well. Damn, we don't need to. No, she said, look, I I just want to get this straight with Tom. She said, do you want some sourdough? I said, no, 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 don't be silly. And she said, are you sure? And I said, are you absolutely sure that if I don't take it, it's going to go to waste? And she was like, yes. So I took the sourdough, one loaf, uh, maybe it was two loaves of sourdough. Two loaves. Two? Yeah, but it was going to go to waste otherwise. And that's not good, is it? Food wastage is a huge problem. But would you like toast it? I re-oven it. Re-oven it. Yeah. Again, an expression I've never heard before. To re-oven. <laughs> or re- rebake, if you like. It's not charity because it, it's not... If it, if it was well, taking... Not when you're involved, no. <laughs> if I was, if I was yeah. taking from a food bank... <laughs> robbery, isn't it? If I was like pretending that I've got no money, and but this app is just for anybody. It's like whoever wants whatever, it's going to go to waste, come and get it. I've given away stuff on it before. Not sourdough, because I don't have sourdough to Because I would always... Yeah, of course, you don't have sourdough to spare. <laughs> but I suppose I would be like... In my mind, I'd be like um, sealed items. Would be more something I'd be more comfortable collecting. But the idea of like a sourdough loaf that somebody's made. Who, who are they? But it's, re- <laughs> it's reputable. It's from bakeries that are reputable. Oh, it is from bakeries. Yeah. So if yeah, it's from like Gales. Bakeries. From- oh, I thought it was some trendy person in... Finsbury Park, mm. making sourdough every day because they've got nothing else to do. And then being like, I've got so much sourdough, please collect it, I'll leave it by the bin. <laughs> that... And you were just going around to somebody's house and collecting a sourdough. Like a sort of That's... hipster grinder. Like a sort of hipster carb-based grinder. Mm. The opposite of grinder. That does happen as well, Tom. <laughs> so there is occasionally people are like, I've, just, I've made too much dinner, like I can't get rid of this. Or the, i tell you what happens a lot. I've ordered a takeaway, I'm a vegan, and like a load of chickens turned up. So like I need to get rid of it. That kind of stuff happens quite a lot. Oh my God. I'm sorry to be so dismissive of it. Of course, you know, I'm not one to be cynical. But um, all I was concerned about was like, these people you're getting their food from, have they got clean fingers? That was my only thought. But it sounds like it's all, all in hand. I think I would think so because I think I think if you're the kind of person that does this, which is it relies on people going to the place, you know, collecting the food and then distributing it to whoever wants it. I think if you're that kind of person, you're probably oh, so you're a conduit. You don't take it for yourself. I take it for myself, but other, okay. But there's there is a conduit in the middle, yeah, that's gone to Gales at the end of the day, taken all the sourdough. And we'll distribute it to whoever wants it. And I think that kind of person... This is a gay and a non-gay with Tom Allen, our special guest this week. I think that kind of person is inherently a good person and is therefore going to wash their hands. That's fine. I don't want anybody to think I'm making fun of the overall intention behind this. I think it's very noble. I'm more fascinated with Dan just collecting bread out of people's bins (laughs) (laughs) that they've made in maybe clean kitchens, maybe not. That's what I perceive. Or indeed, Dan, as we've established, Dan going to a food bank to donate and and also collect.
Dan's <laughs> also attended a blind yoga class for blind people, but that's that's for another day, Tom. <laughs> a gay and a non-gay. Let's talk about your comedy for a sec, because I'm obsessed with you, and I think you're so funny, and you're, you're, the way you joke about gay people and the gay scene is just so on point. I remember at the Attitude Ooh. Awards, you, you stood up and went, wow, a room of gay people judging each other. Interesting. And uh, it had the biggest laugh of the that. evening. <laughs> and, uh, I said that. And I didn't realise that you didn't actually talk about your sexuality in your comedy until you'd been doing it for for ages. I did, well, when I, certainly the first couple of years I, I was doing stand-up, I wouldn't, or I'd talk about it near the end. So I was like, it's not the only thing about me. I found I often struggled because audiences were like, he's not telling us something here. Something's missing. And also at that point, there wasn't very much for me to talk about because I wasn't a very confident sort of, I started doing stand-up at the same time I came out. So I was kind of like not that confident in the early part of my stand-up career. And then I sort of had a few difficult gigs as one does when one starts out. And then I think I went, I'm going to talk about this up front and get it out of the way. And, and I found I was, you know, often there were straight audiences, but not always. But actually, it did make sense to talk about it a lot. Now I get them going, oh, why do you always go on about being gay all the time? And I'm like, yeah, but if a straight comic goes up and talks about their man, they talk about their wife and kids. Like, no one's like, why always go on about being straight all the time? So um, I kind of have a bit of, again, a bit of petulance on that front. And I go, yeah, well, I'm going to talk about it just to piss you off then. <laughs> and the more people complain about it, the more I go, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about it even more. Um, <laughs> I, like, I like talking about I like sort of talking about the, the little foibles of our world. And I think I like our, our ways. Not that everybody is exactly the same, of course, but um, I like kind of talking about our perfectionist instincts. And I like making fun of straight people. So, <laughs> I mean, who doesn't? Indeed. I suppose sometimes I play with stereotypes. I think because people throw stereotypes at us anyway, it's kind of funny to sort of own them. Yeah. I love that about queer comedy that you see it in age old drag shows or, or, you know, you know, the long history of camp comedy in, in, in this country and well around the world. And I think actually it's really, what's never talked about is that it's really subversive to play with those stereotypes and to, to play with making fun of oneself. And some people really can't do that. And it really does poke fun at the pomposity of the world and the way people take themselves very seriously. And I, I think that's very powerful. It's Pride Month. Your book, No Shame, is getting re-released in paperback. Oh, thank you for mentioning that. Uh, it's the perfect book for, for Pride, I guess. Um, oh, well, I, I would like to think on some level, yes. I, I wrote it about feeling like I was an outsider and feeling different growing up in suburbia. And in writing it, I really understood a lot more about myself and about being a peculiar young person, really, who did strange things. And for me, it was really important to represent that journey in a way that wasn't too tied up with a bow. Like when I was writing a lot of the stories, like I, I wrote a story about how I was beaten up at school. Shortly after that, there was a school cabaret and I decided I had to do a Julie Walters monologue from Alan Bennett's Talking Heads, Her Big Chance. Totally inappropriate choice on every level. And it's a monologue, for those, for those of you who don't who aren't familiar with, with the work, it's a monologue about a, a woman who wants to be an actress and she gets what she thinks is her big chance, but she doesn't realise it. She's so deluded. Her big chance is in a porn film that she thinks is just a serious acting job. <laughs> totally inappropriate for a 12-year-old boy to do it. <laughs> but I was insistent, just determined to do it. Not for any reason other than I really like Alan Bennett. And I like the language and I like the way he spoke, the way he described or recreated people's language, the way they speak to each other or about each other. And I wrote about that. 
and my editor was like, and then did everyone leave you alone after that? Did the bullies leave you alone? And was there a triumph there? Did you get a standing ovation? And I was like, oh no, no, nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they just carried on as as before, and 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 I just muddled through, and yeah, it was completely the same for me. That was really important to show because I think as a well, I found as a gay man, a lot of the things that are represented on television are of, often quite simplistic. You come out and you meet one guy and then you fall in love. And for me, at least, that's never been the case. And I wanted to show that actually life is complex and our lives are complicated. I think because we have or have had so few role models in the past and so little storytelling to rely on or to, to reference, for me, I really wanted to show that life life is often quite convoluted and twisted and twisty journey and you know it's not all tied up with a bone so yes it is a good book for bread so <laughs> i was i was cracking up within the first couple of pages and the bit that really set me off was there's a paragraph about don't be silly uh where oh. in bromley everything is being silly from being a vegetarian to taking care <laughs> of one's appearance or was was to that effect and that just made me laugh so much because i just think that's that's drilled into you at school isn't it yeah and it, actually i think that can have a real like negative impact if you're constantly told to stop being silly when all you're doing is experimenting with joking around or or being a vegetarian. It's I think it has a real damaging effect. Thank thank you very much for noticing that. Yeah, essentially, it's don't draw attention to yourself. I suppose is what was being instilled in me. Like don't do anything too out there, and that came from various places and was actually well intentioned and was about like don't stand out because that that might mean that you get beaten up and so I suppose that's basically what what my say my parents were saying but at the same time it's a very constricting way to be if, if you're sort of fearful of being ridiculed for being like say silly and at school as well like don't be silly it's very punishing isn't it? it's a very kind of mean spirited way of living and you know sometimes I was a very precocious child and was probably it's probably for the best that I was told to stop being silly but at the same time <laughs> there were times when I think it's as human beings it's nice to do things that are a bit out there. So you were you were born forty six. Are you now eighty plus? <laughs> yeah, I think I am actually. Really? I've always felt like I'm older, but in truth, as I got actually older, I felt younger. You know, and I think I was just reading it a charming book called Lady in Waiting by um, Lady Anne Glen Connor. Uh, and she's Lady in Waiting to Princess Margaret. And she says that she's going in her late 80s. It's very um, interesting, sometimes harrowingly sad book, but I recommend it. Um, write it down, Dan, you'll love it. I know how obsessed you are with Princess Margaret. <laughs> and, but she says, oh, I've never been happier. She's in her like late 80s. And I wow. kind of think that's great, isn't it? To aspire to be that. If, you, if one is lucky enough to get to that age, to be contented like that would be a wonderful thing to aspire to. Which is why I suppose I say about shame and all those things that they take time. And, and to to love yourself is, is kind of, it's a lifetime's work in so many ways. You are the host of everything at the minute. You're on TV. I thought you were going to say you are boring. <laughs> that's what you were going to say. You're you're on TV all the time. One of the things that you host is The Apprentice. You're fired. Now I'm obsessed with The Apprentice. I've never missed an episode of it. Um, oh, I wish I knew you could have come down. I, I can't think of anything I'd like you like more than that. I read that there's going to be minders on the next series of Apprentice because they keep having sex with each other. Is is that true? <laughs> I didn't know that. Where did you read? I've never in the metro. I'm not just saying that in like a. I've literally not heard anything about that. This is so funny. Dan, don't believe everything you read in the tabloids. Apparently Lord Sugar is, <laughs> is not happy about everybody having sex with each other all the time. Yeah, I read this too. 
Is this really? a thing then? Is this happening a lot on set? Not on set, I don't I mean, think. like off set. <laughs> not, on my, not on my set. Although it could be, and I'm just like unaware of it, just busily like going off talking to, talking to, to the cleaners. <laughs> and I'm, I'm missing it. But um, no, I, no uh, I don't think so. Do you not get the sense when someone comes through the you're fired office that, that they've been shagging X other person? Because sometimes as a viewer, no, you well, think... How would I get that sense? What, they'd have like dishevelled hair? Their clothes would be on a bit skew with. Well, I don't mean that they've just shagged them. Well, my understanding of that, of the process is they like get woken up at sometimes like four o'clock in the morning and then they're dispatched to go and find out what their task is. They then are on the task all day until like 10 or 11 o'clock at night and then they go to sleep. And I think like the production team is like, you should go to bed because you're waking up at half past four again in the morning. And so... I don't think there's a lot of time for anything to happen, but I, I don't know. I'm not in the house with them. A gay and a non-gay. You've also joked before that you don't want to be equal, you want to be better. Do you think <laughs> Do you think gay people are better than non-gay people? Yeah. All this talk of equality. Oh, please. No, thanks. We're already ahead. I don't want to have to regress back to them. <laughs> I like the fact that, you know, we have an outsider perspective on the world. I think it's something to be embraced. I suppose that's what I mean. It's sort of, I yeah, like no, I think that's true. I don't think I've ever seen it as that. But it is It is good that we have a, a, an outsider's perspective and see things differently. When I first came out, and I sort of then went on to embrace this ever more, but like the sense of like, well, we do have a different perspective on things and we do kind of get a chance to sort of poke fun at stuff. And when we're not confined by the norm core of heteronormativity. I kind of like that. I like that we go, we want to, throw brunch again i'm playing with stereotypes i'm sure people listening will be like uh, we don't auto brunch but um i like i like that i like the fact that we get to be more flamboyant and more stylish than other straighter people dan um, have you brunched have you had brunch dan have you ever brunched i've done it a lot in america yeah but it's yeah, america, it's, right. it's not really a thing over here for, for for non-gay people i don't think i think it's always been quite an american thing hasn't it yeah being taken over by hen parties and non-gays here, though, I find. Yeah, I actually went to a brunch true. recently and I thought it was going to be fabulous just because it had the word brunch on it. And it ended up just being like this mm. horrible, straight, misogynistic DJ emceeing over loud music. Oh, That's not you. brunch. Was there shakshuka? No. Oh, James, I would have left straight away. No, there was no deviled egg. Or there was no mimosas. No Bloody Marys? No Bloody Marys, babe. Nothing with an olive? Nothing. No olives. So what was that? It was called a glitter brunch, but there was not one piece of glitter in that entire venue. Uh, they served Japanese food. Extraordinary. At brunch. At That's brunch. what, like katsu curry? Exactly. A katsu curry, yeah. What time of the day was this? Like midday. Are you sure yeah, you didn't accidentally go to Wagamama's? I definitely did not accidentally go to Wagamama's. When have you been to Wagamama's and seen like an MC screaming misogyny over the microphone? Was it really misogynistic? <laughs> it as well? was. It was like, shout out if you're single, if we're the single ladies. It was very That's much. That's not that. misogynistic. To me, it is. That doesn't make it misogynistic, though, does it? Well, it does to me, because it's like, you're, why are you asking them that? Why, why does it matter if they're single or not? Are you trying to shag them? Anyway, um, Tom, it's been an absolute pleasure yeah. to chat to you. Thank you both for having me. Tom, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. We'll see you Thank at you. The Apprentice. Yeah, Dan. <laughs> I'd love to have you along. It'd be great. trying to shag all the contestants. Dan, it's not like that. That's not what I've heard in the Metro, Tom. You be careful what you read. <laughs> Dan will save you some sourdough as well. Yes. Yes. Oh, please do. Yeah, I'll bring you, you some. my conduit. I'll wash my hands first. Wash your hands and we'll have some toast. 
<laughs> Find us on your socials. We're at Gay Non Gay everywhere. 